Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. I'm here with Garrett Temple of the Toronto Raptors. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I am fascinated about your journey because it's not one that's like a straight path. Like you kind of had to, I wouldn't say fight to get to where you are, but you definitely had to persevere and not give up, which I think is so interesting because you hear all these stories about these players who go straight to the NBA, right. have this like long-standing career, but you played overseas and you came back. And I feel like your your role player is being like the vet. Like guys want to play with you. Mm -hmm. You kind of control the locker room. Mm -hmm. You're well-respected. I definitely had to to grind, I would say. I was never highly touted out of college at LSU. I wasn't highly touted out of high school. And redshirted my first year, then I went, I played four years. I never scored more than, I think 8.2 points a game was the most I scored in a season. After my senior year, I didn't expect to get drafted, but I had a lot of draft workouts and played well in the workouts, defended well. And the draft came and went, I, my, my name didn't get called, but Right after the draft, the Houston Rockets called me and I went to summer league with them, then training camp and started with their D-League team. Back then it was called the D-League and worked my way into the league that way through mm -hmm. the D-League and, and then had a bunch of stops on the way to getting to where, where I am now. Yeah. I have always wanted to ask, did you know that you wanted to play basketball or was it something that you felt like you had to do because your family also played basketball? That's, that's a great question, Joel. I don't know if anybody has ever asked me that question. Backtrack a little bit. My father played basketball at LSU. He was the first African-American varsity letterman in athletics. And then it so happened to be basketball. And before him, my grandfather tried to go to LSU, but was denied because he's black. The Louisiana legislature actually appropriated some funds to pay for him to go to school anywhere else. So my dad going to LSU was a big, big deal, especially after what my grandpa went through. And he wear my dad wears that LSU really, you know, proud on his chest for what he had to go through and what he had to endure for those four years. So I have two older brothers. My oldest brother plays basketball as well, was an offensive-minded guy. He wanted to go to LSU since he was little. Grew up as a ball boy for Shaquille O'Neal, Chris, Chris, Chris Jackson back then, Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf now. And he bled purple and gold. Me, on the other hand, as the youngest son, was trying to be a little rebellious and Early on, you know, when I was a young kid, I played since I was three, two, three, four, five. But by the time I got to 14 years old, my parents divorced when I was 10. By the time I got to 14, I really had a question. Do I really love basketball or am I just playing because my dad played and my brother played and people expect me to play? And I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm good at basketball. I enjoy it. But do I love it? Because I don't want to wake up at 5 a.m. like my oldest brother was waking up in the morning as a sophomore in high school, things of that nature. That was never me. I love I love sleeping. My mama said I need a sleep ministry because I love to sleep. I get my rest. So that was a question I asked my dad after one of the early morning work, workouts that he woke me up to do. I asked him at the breakfast spot, I said, why is basketball so important to the temples? Mm -hmm. And that, you know, as a 14-year-old, having a son now, you know, knowing my dad's mindset, I can imagine how he felt when I asked him that question. He handled it with grace. And, but by the time I got to my junior, going into my junior year, the summer going into my junior year, I played in a camp called ABCD Camp. It was the Adidas Camp in Teaneck, New Jersey. And I played against Dwight Howard, you know, Sebastian Telfair, all of these guys that were just highly, highly rated guys. And I realized I can play. 
Mm-hmm. You know, these are the guys that are going to be. I was I wasn't even thinking these are the guys that are going to be in the NBA, but I know these are the best guys in our class. And if I can hang with them, I'm good. Because at one point I thought people were inviting me to different places because I was a friend of Glenn Davis's big baby who was very highly touted. And uh, I thought I was kind of just like a throw in. Oh, you know, Glenn kind of lives with his family or he knows this family. So we're going to throw in the coach's son, who was my dad. And mm-hmm. I wasn't, I never wanted to be a person that was looked upon as kind of a charity case. I always wanted to blaze my own path. So once I realized that I could hoop, you know, with these guys and it wasn't, you know, any, any fake invitations or anything like that, that's when I really got locked in my senior year in high school, started waking up, working out on my own, and realized I do love the game. I'm not just playing because of my family. Was there ever a time where you were like, do I want to play track and field more and try to go that route? Or were you just like, it's always no, bad? Nah, I always love watching track. I was never fast enough. I think I pr- could have been a decent quarter miler mm-hmm. or maybe 800 runner if I, if I did it. But I long jump and triple jump just to be around my, my friends and because I was decent. My, my, real, my real love besides basketball was football growing up. I loved it, but my dad told me in eighth grade, or going into ninth grade, you don't need to play football in high school. You, you're too skinny, they're going to break you up. I said, I want to play football. He said, what do you want to play in the pros? I said, basketball. He said, okay, then. Well, you don't have no, no need to. And then he messed over me because the first day of school, my guys were like, why are you not playing football, man? Mm-hmm. I said, my, my dad won't let me. My dad comes to scoop me up from school. Mr. Temple, why won't you let Garrett play? I didn't tell the boy he can't play. You scared to play, boy? <laughs> I said, oh, really? That's what we on, man? So we got in the car. He said, you ain't playing no, you ain't playing no football. So, and then you know this. Besides football, looking back, I wish I would have played high school golf because I love golf. I learned around 11 or 12 after watching Tiger Woods play in the Masters. And that was really my the sport that if I could have played another sport in high school, it would have been golf. I So we're going to get back into basketball, but golf is something that I'm fascinated about because I feel like that's so many like athletes' second hobby now. It's just like they love golf. Right. And I feel like I heard about it more during the pandemic, and I'm like, since when did everyone get into golf? Like, what is the phenomenon behind golf? It's, so for me, as a as a bat person that's played a team sport their entire life, and basketball is not one of these team sports that, okay, like football is, you have the defense and you have the offense, so you really don't play both sides of the ball. Or a team sport like track where you the team's points go together. Nah, it's team sport. I have to pass to somebody. I have to defend. They have to help me defend. So golf... Maybe my, my, and I've always been very unselfish in basketball, always looking as the team, you know, whatever the team can do. Whereas in, in golf, it's all you. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one pull for me is that it's all about you. But also there's no, there's no mastery. Like you can't master golf. Now I'm never going to get to a point starting so late, obviously, where I can play at the, in the PGA, on the PG, PGA Tour. But even still, the people that are on the PGA Tour, as good as they are, there's no chance for them to get to ever shoot a 18 in, in 18 holes. They can't shoot 18. Like you, you're, gonna, you're never going to make a, a hole in one on every hole or mm-hmm. get an eagle on every hole. That's just not going to happen. So the balance of that and then the fact that it's outside in nature, the elements of outside, and then you know different courses, everything is different. Wind may be different one day to the other. You may see a deer running around. You may see a rabbit. Like it's just, 
it's so many elements that 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 I love about it and the competitive nature, the competitive juices still still get to flow. So I'm I, I'm addicted to golf, and basketball is my passion. Do you think you're the nicest golfer in the NBA? Not close. They <laughs> actually uh, no, not nearly. No, no. Steph, Besides Steph. Steph, there. Austin Reeves claims he's very good. I, I would imagine he is. People don't just talk because you can look up people's handicap online and things of that nature. But I know a guy that people don't really know about that's really good. His name is Dylan Windler. He used to play for the Cavaliers. Now he's on the New York Knicks on a two-way. He's he's real tough. But I have other friends, Kyle Lowry, big-time golfer. You, you mentioned the pandemic. Me and Kyle played a lot in the bubble in Orlando. And they had a lot of guys going out to play for the first time. They got their nice golf gear. And then when they swing that club, you realize that's their first time playing. It's a it's an amazing game. My son had a golf club in his hand the same day he had a basketball when he was like a year and a half. So he'll definitely be giving him options. Yeah, no question for sure. That's I think I went to Top Golf one time and I realized I was not. Good. I couldn't even get the ball off of like the little tee. tee. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't even do that. I was just okay. This is not my sport. It, it, that's the another thing. It takes so much mentally. It's probably the it's the most difficult sport mentally. I haven't played every sport, but I would venture to guess golf is the most difficult sport mentally, because in every other sport you're hitting, if you if it's a, if a ball is involved, you're hitting a moving target, mm-hmm. or you're catching a moving target. Whereas golf, the ball is just still. You're still. The only thing that's moving is the club, and you have control of that. So, again, that's another thing that you know whatever is in between those ears has a lot to do with what's going on. You mentioned the bubble. What was that like for you, especially because it was during 2020? And I think you were probably one of my most socially aware people that I know. And it was such a, not a difficult time, but like a lot was going on. How did you facilitate that? And how did you know how to navigate? It was a very interesting time. I remember when when it first happened and then, you know, my um, fiance at the time, my wife now, we were in New York. She was expecting and we were in what, San Francisco. She and a couple of other of the other wives were in LA. So we, we got a flight for them to come up to San Francisco. We all flew to New York, got the got the test. And we was it was just me and her in the, you know, in our place for a minute and the murder of George Floyd happened and we began talking about things that we could do. And obviously being on the board on the executive committee of our player association as a vice president I was, you know, we had a lot of meetings about what we were going to do during the pandemic, how the return to play was going to look like, things of that nature. And my whole thought process was, I had a lot, I had a lot of different thoughts. One was, I'm very big into black wealth mm-hmm. and, and the growth of black wealth in this country because the wealth gap is, is enormous and it's only getting bigger. Last I saw a few years ago, for every $1 a Caucasian family has, a black family has six cents. So my thought process was if there's any way for the the few a few you know black men that have a chance to be millionaires for the rest of their lives and create that wealth for their family to get more money to continue to grow wealth uh, then we need to do that not to mention the ability to talk about and push issues that we want to see talked about because everybody's at home so if we're playing People watch us regardless, but if we're playing and they have to be at home, they're going to watch our games. And if we can push messages that would not necessarily get out, then it's a chance for us to do that as well. 
So in my opinion, it was a no-brainer. We can kill two birds with one, with one stone. The, the, the negative was that it was, a, it was a little bit of a sacrifice, if you would call it that. Most, most, of, most people in the world wouldn't call making millions of dollars to play basketball a sacrifice, but the sacrifice is you're leaving your family and your loved ones in order to be in this bubble and not be able to have you know, connection with them, which was tough. I was one of the main people that, again, I had a wife that was pregnant. So that was very difficult, but I thought we had a chance to do something great. And for me, this is a job and a way for me to provide for my family as well. So it was a very interesting situation. I love the fact that we that we stood on our principles, that we talked about a lot of things that weren't getting talked about. When we were out there, the ability to just, like we played, we played golf, people went fishing, we found ways to get away. And then I actually got home and five days later my son was born. So it, it worked out perfectly for me in that I actually studied for the LSAT again during that time as well when we were waiting for the bubble. I think we could have done a little more, but I think we took decent advantage of it in terms of what the league has been able to do towards African-American causes now in terms of the, you know, the $300 million grant that, 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 that is given. I'm not going to lie. I was a little surprised about like how much you guys were doing, even though like you don't think it's like enough of what you guys did. I didn't think the Bucks were going to stop their game. And I think that's because I think about the Clippers situation mm-hmm. and how they still play during the playoffs. I was like, they're not really going to. Right, right. Now that, that was, you know, it has a lot to do with the bubble, you know, not, not being in the, in the bubble may have had a different twist, mm-hmm. but being in the bubble, you don't have to worry about fans mm-hmm. not getting their money back because they bought tickets or anything like that. It's just a matter of the broadcast. And, you know, I have to applaud my, my, my boys on the books. George Hill, who's a very good friend of mine. We were teammates in, in San Antonio. We have teammates in Sacramento. We're, I think our birthday is four days apart. He stood on his principles as well as, I, I want to say Kyle Corver had a lot to do with that. But Nah, they, they, I, I was actually gone the day before. I left, we left the day before we got swept by Toronto. But them sitting out again, just showing that there are other things in life that matter more than basketball, even though this is our livelihood, our job, and something we love. There's other things that, that matter more. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we, we presented that while we played in the bubble with what we had on the back of our jerseys, as well as, you know, like you said, Milwaukee sitting out during, during the playoffs. Can you talk to us a little bit more about your time at LSU outside of your family's history, just like playing wise? For sure, no. So you know, I was I was bucking the system in terms of my temples, the temple legacy at LSU. So I went to visit Oregon, up in Eugene, Oregon. I went to visit Baylor, where I went. Coach Drew got there, and Coach Tang, who's at Kansas State, doing a great job. Shout out to Coach Tang. He was an assistant there. It was their first year there. They tried to woo me, say I'm a start. So I was about to go to Baylor. And my dad was sitting back like, ah, nah, this ain't gonna happen, bro. Come on now. You can play, you can have fun with this coach, have fun with that with that team, but you need to come on back down to LSU, Baton Rouge, half mile down the street from the house you grew up in. The same campus that the school I went to, went to from second grade to 12th grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same school that Glenn Davis, my high school teammate went to, ended up going to the same age. And another childhood friend, Tyrus Thomas, decided to go to. So I was playing with friends since age three, four. Me and Tyrus have known each other since three or four. 
me and Glenn have known each other since nine. He lived with me for a couple of years in high school. So not to mention I had probably one of my two best friends, one of the, you know, one of my best friends right now, Darnell Lazar, who was a year ahead of me, he was there. And a good friend that I played with since I was 10 or against Tasman Mitchell was going there the next year after me. So it was very difficult when I thought about it to turn that down. Mm-hmm. And I went there and it was the best decision for me. I had, I registered in my first year because I was 6'4", 169, so I needed to get a little, a little weight on me. And the next four years, I played a lot. I played to the point where when I finished playing, I was the most, I played the most minutes in the history of the, of the uh, school. So my freshman year playing, we had a, had a heck of a run. We went to the Final Four. We beat Duke in the Sweet 16, J.J. Reddick's senior year. His last game was against our LSU Tigers. He was player of the year in, the, in, the, in college that year. And, you know, my little skinny freshman tail had to guard him for 40 minutes. And I think he went three for 18 from the field. And that kind of put me on, on the map. Mm-hmm. That whole freshman year, I was guarding all the best wings and guards, but obviously, we were on TV and big time game in the Sweet 16 versus the Player of the Year, and I, I, I held my own, did, did my thing, and then the next the next game was against Lamarcus Aldridge, Daniel Gibson, P.J. Tucker. Nobody would have thought he's the name that is still in the NBA mm-hmm. out of those out of that team, and we beat them, and then lost to the uh, against UCLA with Jordan Farmar, Aaron Aflalo, Luke Bamute, Ryan Hollins, a couple other pros. So. Darren Collison was coming off the bench then. So that was that was a great run as a freshman. Sophomore year, didn't we didn't play as well. Junior year didn't play as well. And then senior year we won the SEC again and we made it to the second round, which was we beat Gordon Hayward and Brad Stevens mm-hmm. back when he was coaching at Butler. But lost to eventual champion, North Carolina, Ty Lawson and Wayne Ellington, Danny Green, all of those guys. I, I had a great college experience. You know, I wasn't far from home. I always had a home cooked meal if I wanted one, but my parents were never overbearing, so they never, you know, came around too much. I will say my dad just popped up at my apartment every now and then. Okay, that's actually so crazy. Yeah, yeah. That was, he used crazy. to just pop up, and uh, there was one time, one or two times he popped up, and I wasn't expecting him. But, you know, we had we had great times. Again, I was playing with, with guys that I grew up with, so that, that was that's special. That's one thing that I know most people don't get in college, and I was able to, to get that. So whatever you think about your college experience as a athlete, just think about that on top of playing with your friends. Like, that's how my experience was. Mm-hmm. You mentioned playing against J.J. Redick. But for you as a freshman, were you nervous going against him? Great question. Nah, I love J.J. And I would, I don't, J.J.'s game at Duke was amazing. He, he was like mean, one of the best Duke players 20, Yeah, he was probably, I mean, I would venture to guess 75, 60% of people that a Duke fans would say JJ is the best Duke player ever. Um, I know Trajan Lane and I know, you know, Christian, Christian Lane and things of that nature, but JJ was, he was special there. But he had an amazing NBA career as well. Mm-hmm. Really, really good NBA career. I, I wasn't nervous. It's a funny story. My oldest brother, you know, again, that whole season I was guarding and I was guarding people and I, I did really well defending shooters, guys mm-hmm. that really just moved off the ball and catching with catch and shoot. So I told my brother, I said, the selection show was coming up. And I said, man, JJ is averaging like 28, but people are letting him shoot threes. Wherever it's at, they're letting him shoot deep threes. I would just crowd him and 
funnel him to the basket. Now, not everybody had a Tyrus Thomas who would probably average two and a half, three blocks a game, but that's we, we had that luxury. So my brother said, okay, well, you know, the selection show happened, and we were in the same, you know, side of the bracket as them. So he, he texted me right after it came out, and he said, y'all, y'all win two games. You got your wish. You get to guard him. So we'll see what happens. So we played, won the first game, won the second game. And after the second game, I got a text. First thing he told me, great win. Now you get your chance to guard JJ. And uh, I was hyped. I've always been that player, you know, even looking back, thinking about this season now when when my teammates are assigned, play, you know, players or when I guard certain players in NBA, I, I look forward to that matchup. As a defender, just the mindset I have, I, I think it has a lot to do with my mentality, being a younger brother, being very competitive growing up, mm-hmm. having older brothers that used to just beat up on me, literally and figuratively, you know what I'm saying, mentally, you know, physically, all of that stuff. I, I really look forward to those challenges. So I had a, I just was excited, man. I was excited, Joel. I, you know, we had a, one of our walk-ons who was another friend from Baton Rouge. He he was the one, he was playing JJ in shoot-arounds and practices leading up to the game, and he did a great job, David Fleshman, running around screens. And so I was excited to to see what I could do, to see if I was actually as good of a defender as, as I thought I was and as, you know, my coaches believed I was. So it was nice to, to see a lot of stuff come to fruition. You were talking about defending, and I'm thinking about how Luca and everyone who's overseas are like, it's so much harder playing basketball overseas than it is in the NBA. Mm-hmm. You played in Italy. Yeah. What is your take on that? Nah, I, 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 I agree. It's, if, if somebody comes over here and they're able to score, if somebody's overseas and they're able to score a lot of points, then they'll be able to be able to come to the NBA and score more. For example, you know, I, I would I, I don't know the specific stati- statistics, but in EuroLeague or in, the, in which is the highest league overseas, which is very, you know, very, very, very good league. I need people to understand that. Luca was MVP at I think 18 years old, and it's easier to score in the NBA than it is in EuroLeague if you're a scorer, obviously, mm-hmm. because the paint is more open because we have defensive three seconds. So in the NBA, you have more space to do what you need to do. And they call fouls more often in the NBA than they do overseas. So just the simple fact of being able to get to the free throw line because of the foul calls and having more space to operate. And that's the same thing as college. Like if you can score very well in college, uh, more times than not, that's gonna transfer to you being able to score in the NBA. Now, whether or not you, you know, you're the person that the team needs to score is a whole different question, but nah, it's it's if you if you can average twenty points a game in overseas, mm-hmm. then you you a bucket getter. You know what I'm saying? If you're in the top in the top leagues, so there's definitely a lot of truth truth to that. When I was playing in Italy, we weren't playing in the Euro League; we were just mm-hmm. in our Italian league, and it's physical. Again, the paint is clogged. You have to be able to shoot the ball. You have to be able to play with a certain type of a certain pace and a certain ability to change pace. And my, my, my time in Italy, you know, showed me what type of, you know, different style, a different style of basketball that I think has helped me. Do you remember your first year? Like the moment since. when you got that call and being like, uh, The I'm moment I got called, yeah. So training camp with the Rockets, went to the G League, the D League team, Summer League with them, training camp with them, D League team. So back then you could get allocated. So they they can take one or two guys from the training camp 
and they can put you on the D-League. Like, you're going to go, you'll be with us. So I didn't have to go to the D-League draft. Play, I played 30, exactly 30 games with our D-League team, and I played strictly the shooting guard, strictly mm-hmm. two. Now, I've, I've always gone back and forth, point guard, shooting guard, in college and in the NBA. So I played strictly the two. Chris Finch, who's doing a great job with the Minnesota Timberwolves right now, it was his first year coaching over here in the pros. Uh, he was our D-League head coach. And it was the first year that the Rockets system was trying trying out the threes and layups. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no, no mid-range shots. So we get cursed out if we shot a mid-range shot except one player on our team. So we shot a lot of threes. I played well. I was having like 14 points a game defending. And... One of our, our point guard got called up to the Houston Rockets because Kyle Lowry, you know, was injured. So our, the point guard on our team, Will Conroy, got called up. He had already had a, like maybe one or two 10-day contracts years before. And he didn't play great. You know, he, play, he was playing amazing with us. He didn't play great when he got called up. He may, may have been nervous for whatever reason or what. So they sent him down after the 10-day. And they called me up. And, again, this is to fill in for a point guard. And Chris Finch brought me in after practice one day and said, yeah, they're, they're sending Will back down. I was like, oh, okay, dang. He said, but they're calling you up. And I was like, what? So, you know, I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. I was like, yeah, man, you on a, you on a flight you on a flight tonight. Meeting him in Miami. So we flew, I flew out, went to Miami. My first game was against Miami. We were down by like 30. I got in the game. And my first bucket was like a, like a I want to say a Euro step floater from like eight feet. I can't even say I've shot that. I, I shot that shot before, I, before, but I made it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I ended up playing one 10-day contract and then I, I did pretty decent and they signed me to another one. And then Kyle Lowry was injured. I mean, he was, he was coming back in three or four days. Me and Kyle roomed together in high school at an All-American game. We were very close. So he told me, he said, they're going to they're gonna cut you and bring Will back up because I'm only going to be out for another four or five days. So, And in that in that situation, if you sign somebody to a third 10-day contract, there's no third 10-day contract. Mm-hmm. You have to sign them for the rest of the season or let them go. So I left there, was headed back to McAllen, Texas for the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, and the Sacramento Kings called me while I was on the way to the airport and told me to turn around and go meet them at the Galleria in Houston because they'd get there the next day and they wanted to sign me. So I, my next game was against the Rockets in a Sacramento Kings jersey. What yeah. was that? That was like it was crazy. I didn't I didn't actually play in the game with Sac, but I was in the Galleria just chilling. I was like, wow, this is this is interesting. You know, when people say you get your foot in the door, it's about getting your foot in the door and and doing whatever you can, controlling what you can control to stay there. I started understanding that because I mean I can't lie, I was in the little black car on the way back to the airport. I was probably 15 minutes from Bush International and they, my agent was like, hold up, Sacramento's calling. And I turned around, went to the, went to the Galleria. And my ninth day on the, on, I was a, it was a 10 day contract with Sacramento. Right after that, I got a call from the Spurs who were surprised that I was, that Sacramento signed me so quickly. They were kind of waiting in the wings that they told, they offered me a contract right after SAC. And I was on the way to the airport to Sac, to San Antonio. Mm-hmm. My you know, my last after my last day in Sacramento, unfortunately, Sacramento didn't know, and they texted me and said, "Congratulations, we're ready to sign you to your second ten day." So, I was at the airport, and I texted my agent like, 
they want to sign me to the second 10 day. I'm at the airport already headed to San Antonio with you. He said, I'll take care of it. Again, the business. I learned the business of basketball really early on. Got to San Antonio. And ironically, my first NBA start was the, that season in Sacramento against the Kings. And, and that was a, a whole nother experience, being able to play under Pop and playing with Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker. That was like peak. An amazing, a, yeah, an amazing organization. This was 2010, an amazing organization. It was just something I'm, you know, I'm, I, I've brought with me with every other team I've gone to. I'm always going to remember how the Spurs did things, how Tim was so professional, how Manu was, how they, you know, just the way that they did things. It's the reason why they won so many championships in such a long amount of time. You know, it wasn't just one little run over a four-year, five-year span. They did it in, you know, in over a 12-year span, just continued to be excellent. And that has a lot to do with what type of organization Pop, Pop has going on over there. When did you realize your role on teams? Because I, like, I feel like that's something that, doesn't get talked about like learning your plays. That's that's so true. So many guys in this league, you know, I talk about this to a lot of young guys till I'm blue in the face. So many guys in this league get out of the league because they don't know how to be professional. They don't know how to they don't know how to be humble. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of talent in the NBA. There's a lot of talent out of the NBA that's trying to get in, that's hungry to get in. And once once you get to a point where you 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 kind of take for granted what we have as NBA players, the the, the opportunity we have as as NBA players, then that's when you start to slip and start to allow, you know, whether it be your friends saying you should be playing more, or your or your parents, or your girl, or your whatever, your agent. Whereas I never say people should be satisfied, but I but people should be, but you should be humble and you should be professional. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference, you know what I'm saying? So my, again, I think my, my ability to stay under the radar and not really care about you know, playing to the detriment of my career, like I, wanted to, I wanna play every game, I wanna play the whole game, but me not playing is not gonna stop me from being a great teammate you know, it's not going to stop me from being coachable, anything like that. And I think a lot of guys, their competitive spirit, their ego, which has been groomed because of how they were raised and how great they were as high schoolers, college players, even early in their career, you know, getting fed certain things create that lack of humility. Mm. And, you know, the less humility you have in this league, eventually it'll humble you. It's going to, the league will humble you one day or another. You just hope it's later on in your career, not early on. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're a person that, that has humility, you will, you will see it coming. If you don't have any humility, then it's going to hit, it's going to punch you in the face and you have, you're not going to have any idea where it's coming from. So again, I, I urge young players to be grateful, to have an attitude of gratitude, to stay hungry because I was the guy that took jobs from players that didn't care much. I was a little laid back. I was up, they were upset because they weren't playing starters minutes and they wanted to play 30 minutes a game, not 18. I was cool with playing those 18 minutes. I play eight. I play 18 seconds. What you need, coach? So, but a lot of that had to do with me being under the radar in high school, under the radar in college. Mm-hmm. So I never was that superstar guy that, that never fed my ego. So it, it's easier for me, mm-hmm. you know? It's just, I'm in the same role that I was my whole life. 
So then how did you become a good bet, like building on top of that, the yeah. bet to have in the locker? I, I think the ability that I, that I have played in situations where I'm starting every game, playing 35 minutes a game, I, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be a, a G League guy trying to scratch and claw. So I can talk to our two-way guys about, I know exactly how you feel, bro, going back and forth to the G League, to an NBA, staying in the hotel that you're staying in, flying a regular flight. I know. I did it. You know what I'm saying? And I was making less money than you making now. And I've been the role player that's playing 18, 20 minutes a game, trying to get into the starting unit, but also trying to, you know, maybe they have a young guy behind me that's trying to, that the front office wants to play. So I've been in all of the situations except a superstar or all-star. But I think my work ethic allows me to be able to, you know, even talk to those guys because they respect the grind. They respect, you know, the work ethic. So, and at the end of the day, I think being a good vet, people are going to listen to you when they realize it's not, there's no ego involved, ego involved, and there's no personal, there's nothing personal involved. It's all about the team winning and the well-being of that player, that person, mm-hmm. that young guy. At the end of the day, I want a lot of, I want all of my guys, all of my teammates to make a lot of money, provide for their families. So I just want to put them in position, help them out, put them in position that they can stay in this league as long as they can. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite moment in your career? So, I mean, you know, D.C. was the first place I scored 20. So I think I scored 23 times straight, and it was the first time I did it. And I think I was the first NBA player to score, you know, 21 in, in a game and then have it two games, three games straight mm-hmm. because of that. Sacramento, I, was, I had my career high. I had 34 in Orlando against Orlando. Brooklyn, I, I played well. I think I averaged the most in a season there, a little over 10 a game, and had a couple of really, you know, high output games. The one that I remember the most, honestly, is probably in Brooklyn, we played against the Atlanta Hawks. And it was the last game that uh, Kobe and Gigi were at. And uh, they were sitting courtside. And, and, you know, I played against Kobe and just seeing him and his daughter sitting there, I feel like that was in December. I remember I I got subbed out the game and then I got subbed back in 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 the third quarter, like right away. And I looked at Kobe when I was walking to the bench, he said, hey, go ahead. And then after the game, I had a lot of points in the third quarter. After the game, he was like, man, bro, you you brought him back. And just hearing him say that, and then obviously, you know, a month later, the tragedy that happened. So that's 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 one that I'm, I'm never going to forget that one for sure. Do you have players that you looked up to growing up besides Kobe or, like, whose game meant a lot to you? Yeah, for sure. So I'm old school, Ellie. I always loved Kobe's game, but, again, I was – now that I think about it, I was pretty realistic as a as a kid. I never in my mind was thinking I'm going to be Kobe Bryant or I'm going to be Michael Jordan because I grew up. 98 was Jordan's last championship. I was 12 when that happened, so I watched that. I was tuned in. I was always looking at Scottie Pippen because I, I, I was long and I could defend decently. Obviously, I never got up to 6'8", six, 6'9", six, but I always looked at a Robert Ory when, on, on, the, on those Lakers squad. Kind of like a Brian Shaw. Like I, I never, I never looked at like, okay, I'm gonna be cold. And I don't. Now that I think about it, you know, I, I don't know why I never did that. Maybe because even growing up, I wasn't, you know, in middle school, in middle school and high school. By age, you know, my dad coached me in, in AAU. By age 12, from from 12 on, I was never the best player on my team, mm-hmm. and he did that on purpose because we he wanted to put me around people that could hoop, like really hoop. So there was one year. 
am I, I think 13 and under. I, I wasn't in the rotation the entire season. Like, that's just how it went. And people are like, hold up, your dad coached you and you didn't play? Like, nah, that's just what it was. So that entitlement, again, that we go back to that entitlement, it was never, never there because I had nothing to be entitled about. You know what I'm saying? My dad coached me and didn't play me. So I'm not, this coach has no reason to, to play me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I, so I always looked up to kind of role players, glue guys. That That's just who my, who my mom, people that could play different positions that have versatility. And I think that helped. I mean, I know that helped me. That helped me with my mindset. Obviously, looking back, I had no idea the positive outcome that it would ha- have on me. But I'm glad that I, that I always had that mindset because it's, it's, it's done well for me. This is kind of like a silly question, but I talk about it with JJ a lot. And I talk about okay. it with my friends a lot. I watched highlights of the 90s NBA players because everyone's like, that's the best time in the NBA, like the toughest to guard. I watch games and I'm like, I wasn't that impressed. I was like, yeah, like they're nice. But they were just but, like. But Ellie, you're not impressed by life, the movie Life. So I don't know how Okay, to... well, fair enough. But. Oh, oh, yeah, wow. And in my mind, I watch today's game and I'm just like, I don't understand why people think like the 90s were like yeah. the it time. Nah, I, 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 don't know if, I don't know if I've ever talked about this before on a, you know, in public. But I'm old school. I love the 90s. I love 90s basketball. I will say, looking, you know, I, I'm never going to say guys were, are more athletic now because guys were crazy athletic then and they were bigger than guys now. But I will say guys are more skilled now. More guys can dribble, pass, and shoot, especially dribble and pass. I mean, sorry, especially a shoot. They can just shoot and dribble at a higher clip. The more guys can do it than in the 90s. And because of that, it looks like it's, it was easier to guard back then, but it's more so guys just didn't have as much wiggle to them back then. And it's a different game, you know. We, you know, the analytics came in and people realized, oh, this this light skinned brother, number thirty for Golden State, he not only is he doing something out of this world, he's doing what what most teams, most players should do. You should shoot more threes than than twos. As as I mean, at least jumpers. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're gonna shoot an eighteen foot two point shot, you might as well shoot a twenty two foot three point shot. Mm-hmm. It's way better odds. So I think the numbers. So if guys were growing up in the nineties. Seeing that, then you'd have more three-point shooters in the 90s. But I will say, as a defensive player, I love the 90s because you can put your hands on guys and you can, you know, guard, actually defend a little. You obviously more physically. You could be more physical. And teams, it's just like, it's like, you know, liking it to the NFL. You know, you don't want hard hit. People don't want hard hits. They want touchdowns, long, you know, passes. Back then in the 90s, it was a lot of running the ball. Now it's a lot of passing the ball in the NFL. Now in, in the NBA, a lot of threes, a lot of running and gunning. And it's fun to watch. It's fun to play. It's a great pace. But we never can sleep on the guys. My, Michael Jordan is still my GOAT. You know, I mean, it's just is what it is. You watched him play. I guess I can't. Like, yeah, I mean. Because, like, obviously, I like LeBron better. But that's you watch him play. And I love Bron. I was with Bron in Miami for a little bit in training camp. And he's the most cerebral player I've ever been around. And he's... You know, he's right there. But, I mean, his longevity is, is amazing. It's incredible. It's, we, we don't, we, we're, not, we're not cherishing it enough. Like, this is what Braun is doing at 38, turns 39 in a couple of days. Is, it's incredible. 
I mean, I don't know what other word to look for in the, you know, in the thesaurus, but we have to give him his flowers. People always say it's never gonna be another one. It's gonna be very difficult for another person to do what, what he's done 21 years straight mm -hmm. at this level. That's, I don't think it can happen. I'm so fascinated by people who hate him and people who hate people who cheer him on because I'm just like, yeah, I don't. that's, like, there's really nothing to hate. I mean, I guess people can find things to hate about him, but I'm just like, there's really nothing to hate. Yeah, you're going, the people are always gonna hate. That means, that means he's doing something very right. She has bad, Movie takes as well. People. I just so don't, like don't take this. black movies. No, you don't. <laughs> yes, That's cap. I do. My, I like. You were laughing at. You were laughing at boys in the hood. No, I was laughing at the fact that that he yelled, "Ricky, what are you supposed to do?" I don't know. But I was laughing at the fact that he wasn't zigzagged. He just like he, stood there and he just got more. Morris Chestnut, you should have zigzagged. You definitely mm -hmm. should have zigzagged. But that's not on you. You did what they told you to do. But and then, uh, that's the problem. Ice Cube should have been like run around a little bit. Not Cube. He wasn't even there. Wasn't that his? Oh, that's Friday. Wait, no, he definitely worked on Boys in the Hood. He was, but he wasn't there when he got shot. But he worked Ellie. on it. Wasn't he an executive producer on that movie? He might have been. That's what I'm talking okay, about. Okay, the okay, okay. Behind the scenes. I didn't know this. Okay, I thought, you, I thought you were saying he was Cuba no, Good Jr. yelling Ricky. Some, Come on now. I'm talking about some behind the scenes. You okay. said he wasn't there. I was like, he could be. He, was, he wasn't in that, in that scene. Did you, did you know that the guy that shot Ricky... Actually, like he had a he had a hard hard, I guess a hard go of it after that, mentally himself, to the point where he took his own life. Just from acting in that movie. Mm, I mean, I don't know exactly what, all of it, but they but said like, that had a lot to do with it. That's crazy. The movie movie stuff can really. I mean, if you're an actor, a real actor, you get into that character, it can <clears throat> change you. That's why I don't get he, method acting. Yeah. So like, why would you do that to yourself? Like I mean, method, acti method acting, though, like that's crazy. <coughs> I don't know. I, I mean, method I've heard of it, but I don't really like, know it like that. It's when people act their character 24-7, not even just on set. Oh, it's like yeah. they're doing it the entire duration. Yeah, so they can just go into set and it's just part of them. And out. they're like terrorizing people on set and their <coughs> family members who have nothing to do with the movie. I'm like, Is that, is that what Heath Ledger did with the Joker? The other Joker did. Joaquin Phoenix, I think. Oh, well. Hmm. That's interesting. And I don't know if you watched Succession, but like Jeremy Strong did it. Succession is, was fire. I'm a Succession. Have you seen Billions? No. If you watch, you like Succession? I love Succession. Billions. But Succession have took to watch me it. two years <clears throat> to like get it. Yeah, you don't watch a lot of stuff, but still, Billions. I watch the classics. I watch Love Don't Cost a Thing, classic. Love Don't Cost a Thing. We should, camera person. Lottery ticket. Cut it off. What they say? Lottery ticket. Love Don't Cost a Thing and lottery ticket. So whenever she gives you any takes about anything, her credibility is shot. I haven't seen a Bow Wow no movie. No offense, Bow Wow. You're, you were great at what you did. I haven't seen a Bow Wow movie. And I Nick Cannon, like. you're, 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 He's interesting. you're a genius in terms of just being an entrepreneur. And I watched both of those. Lottery ticket. That Brandon T. Jackson scene, that's funny. That like makes it a classic. No. When he's like, I can't eat. That's I know funny. you and your brother love that scene. Because it's funny. Cause I'm just Maybe like, I'm just too old. Is it just because I'm just too old? I like the five heartbeats. You say thumbs. You like five. So you go from one extreme to the other. I like ATL. That's a good one. ATL is a good movie. That's all you got from me. You, I, know, you, you were telling me earlier before before, I the, before we got opinion. on film, she said she doesn't like loving basketball. I, no, I have valid reasons against loving Now, if you say you don't like loving basketball because Omar wasn't the nicest on the court, sorry, Omar. 
that could be understandable. But because you didn't like the love story, I mean, love. it's a romance movie. I looked it up again. I was like, is there anything that says romance slash drama? No, it says romance slash sports. There is nothing romantic in this movie. Everyone in that movie You're very romantic. The dance no scenes and stuff for. when they dancing. You weren't rooting for Sanaya? You didn't want her to... They tried to make it seem like Sanaya Lathan was ugly because she was a tomboy. And then they dressed her up and they were and just like, oh, she's so They dressed her up so and she beautiful. was cold. It's Sanaya Lathan. She can't be ugly. I'm just saying. She was... The hair that I she had... I have a lot of gripes with that movie. And they little, were like, the hair was a little shot back early on. Sanaya Lathan. But she was still pretty. But some people don't like somebody unless they done up. And like, hear me out, hear me out. I only watched Love and Basketball because I had a crush on Omar Epps. So in the beginning, I was like, uh, I, like I kind of get it why she's being delusional. Like, I understand why she's, like, letting this happen. Because you you, you 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 were all into him, too. I was like, I, Omar I, Epps. I could let it slide for maybe, like, a Omar quarter. might be, like, your height. I'm only 5'1". I don't need a lot of height. No, Omar probably, like, 5'8". 5'1". Like, it's considered tall to me. 5'6", to me. Yeah. I don't need someone that's, like, six foot. That's too would tall it be nice? No, it would be nice. But, like, I don't, like, <laughs> I don't mean it. But all I'm saying about Love and Basketball is that movie is not romantic. If you tell me that that is one of your favorite movies and that, like, you was fired Playing for their heart with Maxwell playing? That's, any so, any that's movie, actually so corny. Any movie that has Maxwell playing multiple times, it got to be romantic. No, oh, I do appreciate, I appreciate the, that scene. The scene, y'all know what I'm talking about. I can't really say it because that's, like, inappropriate. But I was like, oh, that's nicely done. Because it was, like, realistic. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it was very romantic in, like, the, in, the, in, the, in the dance. When they're looking at each other, dancing with We're other people. We're not thinking about the fact that you got. This is my biggest claim. I've talked about this with you and with other people so many times. Because they don't want. She got dogged over two decades. I don't think Quincy ever liked Monica, like, at all. Two decades? They weren't 30. They were, like, five when she they, was 10. It was, like, they, a decade. It was a decade. Like, two decades. Oh, you're talking about when they were babies. They were When kids. they were young, too. I mean. Two decades. My man. I mean, she got dogged. He kind of. She got dog for two decades? I don't know about that. I watched it twice okay. over the span of a week. I can got dogged in the first quarter. She didn't get dog. He was a young boy. He wanted he got at her first. You know what I'm saying? Did she and not then, get a what happened? Scar? How she got dog? Yeah, but that he pushed this a little boy and doing then, something. And then she was That's, like, I don't know, want to ride your you bike. You know how it was. He was he he liked her so much, but he ain't like that she got on his got on his dad. So he had to He at the college party when he talked to a different and girl. And I don't condone her, pushing the girl. I don't condone that at all. At the you college wrong, party, young Quincy. College party, talked to a different girl in front of Monica. Wasn't happy for Monica's getting the starting position. That was, that was crazy. crazy. That was crazy. He was drunk. I don't drink alcohol, so I don't. I wouldn't even know. Like, okay, he did it because he's drunk. But that was wild. That was he, the wild. That was probably the wildest part when no. he said when he's the wildest part was when he said, "Yeah, we're going out to eat." Want to come with us? You want to come with us? I was like, that's crazy. Tough. Well, I didn't understand about that movie that makes me even more mad. But he felt bad. Why she she could have left, she could have missed curfew. She could have missed curfew. No, she couldn't. He have. couldn't have put her, he shouldn't have put her in that position. He shouldn't have put her in that position. He he was, but he was going through it. You never know. It's so many different things. That's why it's love. But that's also so why it confused me. She's a young girl. Because young girl. His she entire, really the entire movie, yet. Quincy's like yet. the entire movie, Quincy's like, oh, I don't want to be like my dad. Like I'm a better man than my dad. But is he really though? Because he had redeeming qual no, no redeeming qualities. I and mean, he kind of acts like his dad. Eventually, he got. I mean, it's, we, we come off the tree. We come off of Ellie. Now it's, our, it's our job. It's our job to to kind of mold it back to where we where we need to get to. That's, that's why we. That's why. That's why he needed Sanaya. She molded him back to where he needed to get you to. You thought she that needed was, You him, thought that was romantic. That last scene was corny. That last scene, y'all heard. I want to flip your heart, and y'all like ran with that. It was like this no, is so romantic. That's like, not romantic. I was that's, like, dang. 
first of all, I was like, dang, she trying to do this two weeks before my boy get married. At like 2 a.m. That's tough. And but like, it worked. No. You know how I know Quentin never liked her? He married her. What you mean? No, that scene is embarrassing because Quincy was recovering from a torn ACL. Let her win three zip. They were going up to five. Didn't play any defense. When Monica got to three, that's when he started playing defense and then scored and won. And then like Monica because like, he knew at the end of the day that he was going to do what he did. That's embarrassing. He literally embarrassed her. No redeeming qualities about this movie except wow. for the fact that Sinai Lathan was in it and Omar Epps. Wow. I digress. But agree to disagree. It's just not. If it was labeled as a drama movie, I would have been like, "This is fantastic." What if it was labeled as a romance drama sports? I'd have been three. like, "Yeah, y'all." Ate so you with just this t- one. so all you need to do is for them to add drama, one more slash, yes, and put drama on the outside. Rom- and like okay. when people are like, "Okay," romanticizing their relationship, and it's like, "This is what I want." Like Quincy and Monica are goals. I they may be talking about the last like minute when they were yeah he, out of the he, whole he was at the WNBA. Yeah, maybe. That's actually very sad. Like I or, or when they were just talking. You never talk about the good parts. When Quincy's parents arguing, he get to go over to her crib. Out of convenience. Chill. Like, that's that's love. That's out of convenience. That's love, though. They're neighbors. That's love. He would have rode his bike to her The crib. only time I think he loved her is when they were in the car. Like on the No, not even in the car. They were on the way back to the dance. And Quincy was just like, oh, did you like hook up with Forrest Cook or oh, whatever? Yeah, yeah. And then Monica was like, oh, I don't remember like my stats. And then he remembered her stats. And of I was course, like, that's saying, cute. That's love. That was cute. That's love. That's the only part I was like, oh, he might actually like her. And then everything oh, else, I was her. just like. He liked her. Not enough. Yeah, six rebounds. Six. Yeah. And I am all for black love. I like black I love. can't tell. Okay, well, not too much. I just don't like that movie. <laughs> like, that movie is just so corny to me. <laughs> but I will watch Life. I don't know where it's on streaming services now. There's something called Google. You could just type in. Yeah, I know, but I life. tried and it didn't have it. You had to pay for it. I don't really pay. For well, movies. well, I'm, I think I think life's on Netflix now. Actually, oh. you need my Netflix password. No, I have mom's. Cut that off. I have my mom's. Okay, mom's hook mm-hmm. up. Life. I watched Love Jones yesterday. Still not a fan of it. Nah, I'm I'm not. It's slow. It's so. It's slow. slow. Love Jones is very slow, but still a classic. Like, I understood when people were like, I want love like Love Jones, because I was like, he was obsessed with her. And that's like. Yeah. I that's like what a, you want. You want no, somebody no, no, obsessed. No, I want someone that's like clingy, but like. You want somebody clingy. Like independent. Though. Independent, but clingy. Like, that's a that's a hell of a contradiction. Like, independent, independent like has their own friends, but I mean, like. What they do that at? <laughs> independent, but clingy. That need to be a, a song. That's a song. They need to be like, not like Chris Brown. Independent, that's crazy, but clingy. But like, Independent, where they have their own friends, but, they but still when they are to, together, they clingy. You want, yeah, you want yeah, yeah. But I just don't you? want someone clocking me twenty four seven. That's what. But you just said they. You see, no, not twenty four seven. My man, when you get with her, we gonna go back to this interview. Well, that's and it's the gonna problem. be like, this is what you got. We should wrap this up, but thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Appreciate you having. Will me. there be a part two? Probably. We got a lot to talk about. Yeah, we a lot to talk about. I have to talk about your career more because I felt like I just kind of. <laughs> we kind of just like went all over the place, but nah, we I got a lot to talk about. I played on twelve teams, so we got a lot to talk about. No. All right, well, this was fun. Thank you for coming. We finally made it happen. Appreciate you, sis.